0: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20 year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit Douglas.ca slash Canadaland to claim this offer. That is Douglas.ca slash Canadaland. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CamH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at CAMH.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. This episode of CanadaLand is brought to you by HelloFresh, the meal kit service dedicated to making cooking fun, easy, and convenient. Each week, HelloFresh creates new and delicious recipes with step-by-step instructions designed to take 30 minutes or less for everyone from novices to seasoned home cooks who are short on time. Get 50% off of your first box by visiting hellofresh.ca CanadaLand and using the promo code CanadaLand when you subscribe. This episode is also brought to you by Entropy, not Entropy with an O, the thermodynamic quality representing the unavailability of a system's thermal energy for conversion into mechanical work, but Entropy with an I, Canada's leader for custom printed t-shirts. I just got my Canada Land t-shirt printed up from them. They look fantastic. They are vibrant. Their website is very easy to use and navigate. They are quick. They'll get you any t-shirt in five days. That's standard. But if you need it sooner, they have a 24-hour hot rush service. And they will give you 10% off of anything. T-shirts, yes, but also custom hoodies, hats, bags, water bottles, whatever. Visit Entropy, Entropy, T-R-I-P-Y, dot com slash Canada Land for that 10% off. Check it out. Well, well, well. Corey Mintz. (laughs) Jesse Jesse Brown. Corey, do you remember when I launched a podcast called Canada Land and and I I said to you, my dear friend, I got this thing. I need help. Will you come on this show and speak truths about about the food media of which you're a
0: part and and, and say the things that need to be said? Do you remember that? (laughs) I don't know how else to put this. I remember failing to support you. And this show in a way that I have felt bad about uh, since. Good. I'm glad that you feel
1: bad. Corey Mintz, will you come on my podcast? No, I won't.
0: I'm too scared. To clarify, you had asked me, like, you want to come on and talk about, like, what's wrong with food media? You had someone else on around that time, and you were essentially tearing apart headlines from uh, the Globe and Mail and saying, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with that? And I bumped into her shortly afterwards and I said, hey, I thought that thing was great. You were funny. She's like, yeah, that employer is not going to employ me anymore. And I I said to you as a freelancer, I was like, I feel like a coward, but I I can't do this. I don't have the I don't have the cards. you, You couldn't afford to tell the truth. And yet here you are, coincidentally, finally on the show, while you have a new podcast to promote. Wow. What a surprise. That doesn't seem coincidental. What, oh, are you being sarcastic? Sometimes that doesn't read on radio. Forget you. Look at me. Here I am, the guy who purportedly has got the
1: podcast that's going to blow the lid on all the incestuous, you scratch my back, I scratch yours, everybody in the media helps each other, and here you are, my buddy, on my podcast, promoting his podcast, which happens to be on the Canada Land Network.
0: What could be a better or worse example of cronyism? Frankly, I'm disgusted with both of us we're going
1: to have to do a lot of hard work to reclaim any credibility. And I would like to offload that labour onto you this morning. What is your plan to do that? We're going to talk about what's wrong with food culture writ large. Sure, let's tear it up. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Brent Lipson, Julianne King, Kelly Sawatsky, Eric Roberts, Neil Joyce, Stephen Edgar, Victoria Lee... And Anna Koop.
0: I'm Anna Koop, the Director of Applied Machine Learning at the Alberta Machine Intelligence Institute. I support Canada Land because you're covering things that need to be covered and exploring new models for
1: media delivery. This episode is also brought to you by our founding sponsor, FreshBooks. FreshBooks makes cloud accounting software. It is so straightforward to use, you will save hours every week and have more time. To doing the creative professional stuff that creative professionals do. They have rebuilt their platform from the ground up. They've taken the simplicity and speed of FreshBooks to an entirely new level. They have powerful new features. I can't cover them all on this spot. They include sending a branded invoice in under 30 seconds, enabling online payments in two clicks. There's a new projects feature where you can invite your employees, contractors, collaborators to easily share information, files, updates. If you're listening to this and you have a business or you're self employed and you invoice people or do any of these things I'm talking about and you're not using freshbooks check it out you can try it out for free for 30 days all the features no credit card required go to freshbooks.com/canadaland and enter canadaland in the how did you hear about us section finally this episode is brought to you by jerk chicken have you ever made jerk chicken? I've made jerk chicken. I have not made authentic jerk chicken. I will say this right off the bat, but I made like a day of it. It's, it's a pretty involved thing to make, even if you're doing it uh, inauthentically. There's a lot that goes into it, and then it's got to sit for a long time, and then if you're going to cook it properly, that's a lot more. It's fun if you've got the time. I got the habaneros, the scotch bonnets, whatever, under my nails, and it hurt a little bit. You know, it took me hours and hours from shopping to making this. I would not make jerk chicken on a Wednesday night, if I didn't have HelloFresh. HelloFresh sends you everything you need and they make it possible to make a recipe like jerk chicken in 30 minutes or less. They source very fresh ingredients. They give you the exact quantities that you need. There's no food waste, no meal planning, no shopping. Everything sent to you in a box, insulated. The shipping is free. You'll get 50% off of your first box, which is a nice way of trying this out. If it sounds like something you might want to try, you can check it out for 50% off of your first box by going to HelloFresh.ca CanadaLand and use the promo code CanadaLand when you subscribe. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible, heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help Change Mental Health Care Care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca/canadaland to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Corey, what is a media dinner at a restaurant?
0: Media dinner in a restaurant has changed a lot in the last 10 years of my food writing. But uh, these days is essentially a promotional event put on by a restaurant. You got to have deep pockets to be able to do that, and basically serve all the food on their menu, all the wine, all the cocktails to a group of people, and say thank you so much. Uh, here's the hashtag for the event. Uh, here's some photos we've supplied, and from that will you know come uh, a bunch of free promotion. So this has been going on for some time uh, since
1: before my time, certainly. So I guess the problem with this, I mean, lots of places when they open up have like a, you know, pre-release press, press can come watch a movie. They usually don't pay when they watch a movie. Um, You're still kind of like thinking, well, like the fact that you save that 15 bucks, that's not going to affect the way that you review a movie. But when you go to a media dinner at, at an opening restaurant, it's a
0: very different experience than going to that restaurant as a customer. You're eating in a way that you would never eat outside of that experience because you're not ordering, you're not saying, what on the menu should we get and how much food should we... You're having a mountain of food. You're having a gluttonous pile of things that you're eating like firetuck and taking one bite and tossing the other piece aside in the end. Of course, you love everything. So you come in and they offer you a free glass of cava. Would it cost you $14
1: otherwise? Sure, I'll have two. Who even knows? Who sees the price? Right. You're probably getting
0: like, the best possible version of each dish. It's not just the best possible version. It's, it's a different version than you would eat uh, in the restaurant. It's all served platter size. I mean, let me, let me take a step back, because my first experience with this, you were actually there. I don't know if you remember this, but when I first started as a writer, I was in the same position as a lot of young people starting. out. I had no experience and no education in it, and I started writing for a local publication for free but occasionally they asked me to do something and they asked me, they said, will you go and cover the opening of this butcher shop? Oh yeah. And I said, okay, um, sure. Uh, Up on Young Street,
1: uh, north of Eglinton. That's right, you were there, you met me there. Well, I remember the conversation there because that's when you, you were like, I think I want to be a food writer. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> you, you lack a basic education and you want to go into a field where there are essentially five jobs in the entire city.
0: For you to compete for. 100% accurate. Do you remember what else you said to me that night? I don't. It was wise and helpful. What did I say? Well, what happened was we went up to this place and... uh, who goes to the opening of a butcher shop? Back then, it was maybe 15 or 20 people, all established food media people. The shop actually wasn't open yet, and there were platters of sausage, and there was wine, and there was a whole roasted suckling pig, and somebody making sure we had enough to eat. At the end of the night, someone handed us gift bags with, I would think, a steak in it, and I remember some maybe chopped chicken, marinated or something... And I asked you, I said, so I'm kind of starting out and I know how to write a restaurant review and there's a natural conflict to the story, but like, I don't know what to write about this. I haven't even been to the store. I don't know what to do or say. And, and you said, well, what story do you think? We kind of went back and forth. And I said, honestly, like, I don't even know that I would tell people go shop here. I don't know what it's like. And why am I vouching for these people? And, and you broke it down to me like this. You said, what are you getting paid? And I said, Nothing. And he said, so, you know, if you're getting paid, that'd be some kind of incentive. But the reality is everyone has a price, no matter how untouchable you think you are, incorruptible, everyone has a price. And as sooner or later, someone offers you something to do something you don't want to do. In this case, if you're going to write something nice about these people because they bought you a free meal, well, then you know what your price is. It's a free meal. (laughs) You know, some classic Jesse sort of poking you in the eye while, while, you know, putting your arm around the shoulder and, and telling you something helpful, but hey, that stuck with me and I decided not to become someone who uh, wanted to exchange my credibility for a free meal. Yeah. You were working for
1: free because you were working for an online, like a blog, mm-hmm. right? So they're like, yeah, we'll publish you. We're not going to pay you. And then somebody else has got to pay you to make it worth your while. You're either getting paid in influence or attention or experience sure. or in bags of meat. And uh, and then you're kind of beholden because if, if, if you're not getting a... A door open for you to come to these free
0: events. I was very fortunate to jump into this role as a restaurant critic for the Toronto Star and have the luxury of being able to expense stuff and not being susceptible to corruption. But I started to see these media dinners and it would be food bloggers and you'd have this big launch. And then the next day, every food blogger would write a nice post about it and maybe the people in the media would keep it in mind for their, you know, roundups. And now, you know, I went to one of these things a little while ago because I was writing something about uh, influencers. You know, we've done away with blogs. It's just Instagram, just people going and saying, I'm going to eat a free meal and I'm going to take a picture and I'm going to show it on my blog. And that's what they get for it. They get that buzz. Added to which the people who are in that position like I was when I was starting out are maybe not turning around and writing something directly like, hey, everybody go to Joe's Awesome Steakhouse, but they're filing it away for their best steaks, their best tacos, their best burgers, their best fried chicken because they have no expense accounts. No publication has any money to send people out to eat anymore. The, the, The complete domination
1: of food marketing over food journalism. Mm-hmm. And now you go to those events, and nobody is a professional who's tortured with all of those issues. Nobody's asking that question. And, and the marketers the- can just, you know, it's like, oh, like why mess around with these journalists who are so difficult and may or may not actually give you a return on your investment? What do people want to know? What's opening? What's a new place to go eat? And, and now we're flooded every week with like, oh, here's a hot new spot. Here's a picture from a new spot. And all of that stuff, as you documented, being paid for through the marketers putting free food and fun events uh, into the mouse and into the into the Instagram accounts of influencers who go there to have a good time, it's a nice lifestyle. You go to free events, you and then you build up your follower count, which you then, you know... Yeah, you're building up that audience by showing them, look at this awesome
0: life I'm living. Yeah, which maybe you're getting paid by somebody else uh, at some point. You may also have influencer money coming in, sponsored stuff. I mean, the new question, I had somebody ask me, I went to this thing last year, and someone who uh, works as a professional food writer actually approached me with this question and asked, so do you think it's a problem if um, I'm, I take like a uh, free plane ride and a hotel and a meal from from someone, a publicist, a company or something, and uh, pitch my editor story based on the trip and don't tell them that the whole thing was funded? <laughs> <laughs> um, what did you say? I just did a double take and said, how can I get out of this conversation without sounding like a condescending, you know, uh, middle-aged white guy? Uh, But then I thought, you you asked me this question. (laughs) You know, if you had to ask the question out loud, I think you probably know the answer. You
1: know, maybe that free trip is what gets you entrance to the newspaper. What you don't realize is that, like, in one of your first articles, you've put a stain on your reputation that's going to, like— You know, that should invalidate you from being taken seriously as a journalist for the the rest of your career. But the
0: world and the the world of publication and journalistic standards has changed under our feet.
1: As food has become way more of a pop culture thing, it's a weird thing to say, but I guess it's true, uh, it feels like the the fight is
0: lost. Oh, yeah. That's the way that one went. That fight is over. We lost. Is it any different in other forms of service journalism? And you were for a brief time might have been described as a tech journalist. Do you think... You've seen the same shift in that area? I had my eye on it, but I, I never
1: had to wrestle with the ethical dilemmas because nobody was offering me free tech or, or you know, I guess there were... <laughs> because they didn't like you f- or because you were... Free trips to conferences. And I, I wasn't covering the VC scene. I mean, th- those journalists are under constant pressure of, you know, what, what hot IPO is happening. You know? mm. um, I was talking about copyright policies. So, I you know, I was uh, inured from those temptations, I, I guess. But uh, but no, I mean, my, my, my sense is that um, that kind of like... You know, blogs have won the day there, too. I mean, like, you know, unboxing uh, videos. Love and love those
0: unboxing videos.
1: You know, tips, you know, like uh, somebody leaked to us the picture of this hot new thing before. I mean, th- those... Those, th- those. It's the easiest part of journalism to... to sure, exert and influence. it's
0: still... In food, it's still... Look, 95% of food media is where to eat, you know, what to order, wh- what's good. And, you know, just last week, Jonathan Gold passed away, right? Far too young, but he was the standard bearer for the person who would go out and find delicious things to eat and not be beholden to anyone. He was looking for that little hole in the wall somewhere in Los Angeles. And no, like, no one can do that anymore. No one can hold up that standard, let alone be, you know, fantastic writers, he was. You know... (laughs) I want to talk about that and and Anthony Bourdain for
1: a second because it's interesting that as we're kind of cataloging complete disappearance of of integrity from this kind of conversation in the media uh, that we literally are mourning the deaths of two people who who more wow. than you know more than anything are kind of like known for their integrity mm-hmm. uh, and I guess you could look at that as a sign of the times thing like you know the 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 food personality, the food journalist who you can trust is dead. Um, and yet it's interesting to me that 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 role reached its apex. And when I went to L.A., uh, my entire experience of that city was navigated and curated
0: through Jonathan Gold. And I, and I love that city in a way that I was kind of taught, you know, by Woody Allen to hate it. Um, As I think a lot of people, their global travel plans are based around watching Anthony Bourdain's show and what he recommended. So how do we reconcile that? Because it seems like
1: there is, at least in the part of the audience, like we want these people who we can trust and who feel like they are people of character and credibility and integrity. Uh, And and for some reason, we want them to tell us about where to eat
0: and food. And yet they're gone. Well, you know, these people uh, came out of another era, right? Jonathan Gold started writing in the early 1980s, I think. Mm -hmm. And Anthony Bourdain you know, launched his career as a writer, and I think 1999 is when Kitchen Confidential came out.
1: And and his mother was the New York Times copy editor. Like,
0: these are newspaper
1: people. Jonathan Gold and Anthony Bourdain were from, I mean, you know, Bourdain is from the food world, but, like, they they, they
0: are of a literary and of a journalistic tradition. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know. Well, the people who, you know, the day that Bourdain died... I got a call at like 7.30 a.m. from a radio producer. Can you come on and talk about Anthony Bourdain? And by the end of the day, I had like 10 conversations, and each one asked me the same question, which was, what was different between Anthony Bourdain and every other celebrity chef? And they would name some celebrity chefs, and they'd said he wasn't a celebrity chef. He was a chef who became a celebrity by becoming a writer. Mm-hmm. And then he got into TV. Everyone else jumped from the kitchen to television. In between, he was a writer, and that's what made him great. You know, that's where he cemented his voice. And by the time he got to TV, rather than be shaped into a guy who was going to be, you know, a guy fiery uh, and and going like, here's what's awesome. He'd already cemented what his voice was and felt very confident being truthful about not just like what's awesome, but what's not awesome and who's being exploited and what the downside is to all these things.
1: Well, he took something that is, you know, arguably of a frivolous nature or or had occupied a frivolous space in the culture of like the food guy on TV, and in a in a way that I think nobody could have even anticipated before, leveraged that into a very specific kind of platform and celebrity through which he explored the world. The food is is just a, a point of entry to experience this Well, he place. wanted
0: to open people's eyes. You know, I've been actually doing a little bit of vacation planning recently with my wife, and we watched a, a few episodes of his show, and I saw the difference between, like, a Vietnam episode from 2005 and 2009 and him referencing a show he did in 2001 and how his voice had changed in going back to these places. And you could see the difference between like, I've already told you where to get these delicious things and those delicious things. And now that I'm back, I'm going to tell you about this indigenous group and their struggle and, and really open people's eyes up and their stomachs up and their minds up to the idea that they should just try new things, period. That when they see something and it looks delicious, or they're curious, they should want to try it rather than be closed-minded. It never felt like eating your vegetables. It was part of the experience. It, it, it encouraged
1: you to, to travel in a different way well, and to Well, plus he had
0: rock and roll swagger of the recovering heroin addict who still, you know, smoked and drank and cursed and, you know, still carried that sort of the, 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 the cynicism of the punk, Which gave him that credibility, plus he would, you know, I've noticed, drop into every episode a little scene that lets you know it's not all polished. You know, I watched an episode where he goes back to visit a restaurant that he'd loved, and he'd he'd really had a big connection with the owner, and she had passed away. He had a meal there with his son, and he has, like, 10 or 15 seconds of dead air and he says in the voiceover. I gotta admit, it was kind of awkward. And, you know, those moments that he puts in reminds you, the viewer, of, like, I'm not gonna gloss over so you can still trust me. It's still Tony. It seems
1: like both of those guys were about as un-Instagram, uh, <laughs> you know, as, as you can imagine. You, you mentioned earlier Style Now has won over Substance. Is that true? I mean, you know...
0: Uh, I think it has. I, I really took that show, the the Netflix show, Nailed It, as the, uh, the the nail in the coffin or the final piece of evidence. And, I, you know, I saw the promo for this show. And what the, is this show? The premise of the show is... Uh, based, a, we're all familiar with the Pinterest fail, which if we are, that's, that's, that's already, we're halfway there, which is the idea that we see something, a beautiful ornate cake on Pinterest or Instagram, and we try to make it and we fail because we're not a professional pastry chef. Uh, and then we take a photo of it and someone goes, nailed it. And so they've made a show about that in which they would have amateur bakers try to make these very complicated cakes, but not so they could succeed, but- with the intention, we know they're going to fail, and it's going to be entertaining, but the idea that we're all aware that we know the the, the version we're being sold is artifice. You know, the fact that we kind of know that we're being scammed.
1: So I'm learning now that there's a, a popular show where people <laughs> try to make cakes that they saw on the internet and fail, and we watch them make bad cakes. We watch them fail. But they if i if I could follow through your your analysis here. We know they're going to fail, and we know that the thing that's advertised to us on
0: Instagram and, and Pinterest and the perfect-looking food item is not the reality, and we don't care. Well, the Pinterest side is the home cooking side. You know, the other side is the Instagram side of the restaurant dish right. that is hokum, is is hucksterism. The sandwich that's stacked so high, the the churro that's turned into an ice cream cone. That we in our brain we go. How could a churro hold up an ice cream scoop? And then we get it and it falls over or it's not good. And we go, well, of course it wasn't going to work. The charcoal ice cream that we, you know, we go, it looks so cool. It's black ice cream. And then we go to taste and I'm like, this is basic ice cream. And we take a, you know, a lick and we throw it in the trash. Like we've gotten to the point where we know we're being hustled. You know, as Seinfeld put it, it's that moment in between buying the thing, which we know is crap and getting it and being disappointed in that, that little wedge in between, we're happy. You're making a very amusing face here, which says like Corey, you're just spouting a word salad, and none of it made sense.
1: No, I understand totally. I just find it so facile,
0: <laughs> dude. Commercial culture. The Big Mac <laughs> that I
1: got didn't look like the one on the on the, on the ad. But, the difference it,
0: but... is that Instagram has turned us all into promoters of the restaurants.
1: Well, that's interesting in a different way. But first, let's just back up because, like, you know, all right? I'll go home. Eating is something that people do probably at least once a week. I'm pretty sure, at least. And uh, the number of people who are eating so they can take a picture of their unicorn frappuccino or their churro ice cream cone or charcoal ice cream or their floating noodles is probably less than, you know, like one in,
0: you know, 10,000. And now you're engaging these sort of like, well, not all eaters. And, you know, I've been hearing this for the last 10 years. But even if you do line up
1: because you're having fun in a way that Corey Mintz doesn't approve of and you want to, like, take a picture of your floating noodles and they don't taste very good and they're just a novel. You're not going to buy them again. This isn't like how we eat now. Like Everyone's not out there like, oh, time to eat lunch. Let's go get some crazy novelty dish that tastes like crap. You know, the fact that 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 rest that the the food industry has done away with credible food writers, critics and otherwise, and actually enlisted the the their their customers to promote them is fascinating. No question. But the idea that this is like uh, uh, changing the way that people eat is like, you know, I mean, there's a certain type of sentimentality that is also cynical. You know what I mean? Like that—that—that's—that's that's an exaggeration in into the realm of cynicism. People eat food that's tasty and that they like, not not because they're going to take pictures of it.
0: Sure, we to the same extent we we mostly live uh, the lives we led five or ten years ago, uh, but but I write about food and I write about what's happening and what's changing within the food universe. And you know, for the guy who wrote me an email when I was a restaurant critic who said, "Look, on Sunday my wife makes a soup." And every night from Monday to Friday, we eat another bowl of that soup, and it costs us about $10, and that's good. And I don't know what this restaurant is doing that could possibly be better. You know, life for people with that perspective <laughs> that's exactly what I'm saying. has not changed. And if you want to take that guy's side, then join him. <laughs> I love making that straw man argument. But Lots
1: like, of things can be true at once, and I find it really interesting that, you know, you talk about how, like, all of a sudden, we're seeing, like, the reemergence of, like, food coloring. Because that's what's going to, you know, people are making food for Instagram and they're making food that's mm-hmm. to, be, to be looked at. So, so now, when I was
0: a kid, food coloring was the
1: devil. You read packages to yeah. make
0: sure it didn't contain it.
1: But isn't it interesting that we're seeing this artificiality and this, you know, and you, you can make like a devil wears Prada type argument about these extreme um, Instagrammable food trends that maybe that's like, you know sometimes food that you have on vacation. And I'm saying that doesn't really have much to do with the three meals you eat a day. But those trends kind of get, like, downloaded into everybody's diet. They change menus. They change what you get at the supermarket. And, you know, you've written about how, like, millennials don't even cook anymore. So, like, if you're going to sell them a piece of raw chicken, it's got to be, like, like you're in Japan, and it's perfectly cut, and there's no fat or sinew on it So because nobody wants to, to a, handle raw
0: chicken. There's a chain in, in England that has started introducing packaging for raw meat so that you can... Extrude the meat into the pan without touching it, based on some sort of market research they have that millennials don't want don't want to touch raw meat. So we're back to like you know almost super atomic age, super processed, you know, uh, visually
1: uh, palatable food for people like who want everything sanitized, and we're getting away from the basic life lessons of cooking.
0: Interesting comparison.
1: At the same time that there is this entire industry around organic and authenticity and wellness and non-additives and and getting back to basics to the point where we're like, you know, tricking ourselves or are eating like cavemen eat. And that's like a huge business. So those things are kind of in contrast with each other. I, I'm not going to say that negates what you're saying, but those things are happening at the same time.
0: Absolutely. We can hold more than one thought in our head at the same time. And when you bring in the, you know, what you called it, the the wellness movement, you know, you've got a whole other level of goop related, uh, spinsters and influencers and sponsors trying to get you to buy things, not because they look delicious or because it's part of a lifestyle you want to partake in, but because it's going to make you healthy based on, you know, health claims that are probably dubious. And I mean, I can't even begin to touch that side of the industry because I don't have an education, and nutrition. And to
1: clarify, when you say there's a whole bunch of spinsters out there, I think you're referring to um, people who spin, spin information. Spin artists, not...
0: Not a whole coterie of... Uh, no disrespect of, to Ms. Havisham. Of,
1: of, 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 of aging women who carry incredible social media influence. Thank you for that clarification. For lack of a husband. Okay. Um, you wrote something that made me think that, 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 that there might be something else coming along. A food marketer who connects restaurants to influencers said to you, you know, in encouraging you to... You know, wet your beak in the trough and in, engage in these types of uh, media dinners. Actually, let it let it slip to you that, like these Instagram influencers, their endorsements and their pictures,
0: they're not working as well as they used to. It's kind of it's kind of plateauing. Sure. I, by the way, I I love the phrase "wet my beak." I just can't not giggle when I hear that. I picture someone of of dubious ethics with a bowl of like whatever it's like caviar or money in front of them. And they're actually like dipping their nose in. it. It's got sort of like a cocaine insinuation. That's what a to might my beak. You right that influencer marketing
1: you're told is not it's not working as well as it used to anymore. That, and, and, and that, you know, even one of the marketers said that these, these Instagram influencers, their endorsement isn't worth it's not necessarily going to guarantee you a lineup at the door the next day. And, and, and that that suggests to me that Eventually, they'll cease to be useful to marketers because of their lack of credibility, which in turn suggests that credibility will again be marketable. Is that is that are we heading back to basics? I mean, it's just about you and your integrity. Right. If somebody were to say, I'm going to be a a food media person, but I'm not going to go to this shit. You know, I'm I'm I, I can't be bought. So I'm going to have to throw up. I don't know a Patreon or something like that, and 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 I'll be the one person you can trust. Is there is there a market for, for that? And are things moving back to basics in that way?
0: I think there is a market for that, and I, I love the idea of a hopeful, optimistic Jesse Brown so much that I am reticent to poke a hole in that balloon. But I think the uh, I think the advertising guy when he said to me that uh, the value of influencers may be waning i think he was i think the value may be deflating not based on the public's awareness their media savvy uh awareness uh that influencers may lack credibility but uh, just an issue of saturation that there's so much of this stuff out there that everyone's Instagram feeds are now just filled with wall-to-wall ads, whether they can see the word sponsored ad or not. But I hope that people are becoming more savvy and <laughs> picking apart what works or not. The idea that credibility is a commodity is still central to what I do. I think it's central to what you do. And I think uh, you know what you're alluding to, uh, uh, Chris Nuttall-Smith launching uh, a, a website for restaurant reviews that people pay for because it's worth it to know from a professional where to go to eat is something that's desirable to the dining public rather than say i'm going to accept whatever's for free on the internet and i'm not going to question where it comes from there's so many reasons why we enjoy food
1: media that don't have to do with just getting like logistical information you know it's it's pleasurable to look at it's these it's pleasurable to look forward to a thing you might eat yeah it's pleasurable to read the most vicious takedown review. Oh,
0: yeah. I mean, that, there's, it's pure pleasure reading a bad food review. Like, like it's, it's- and nobody can do that other than someone who's built up credibility. So... Because it doesn't have any worth when it comes from, you know, Joe... Uh, or Josephine, the person who's paid $5 to write the blog post. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there's a new form of journalistic prostitution we can invent here.
1: Rather than going around and taking pictures of beautiful food, you get somebody who just writes the most vicious takedowns a- unless you pay them not to come.
0: <laughs> this uh, this idea of extortion might just be a brilliant idea you've come up with. I like it. Let's register. Uh, we, just, we just need a catchy name that's somehow a portmanteau of food extortion, and it'd be a shame if something bad happened to your nice restaurant.
1: Corey Mintz. Uh, host of Taste Buds on the Canada Land Podcast Network. No,
0: let's not plug the podcast. People don't want to hear about that. I don't know if we
1: succeeded in in, uh, in rescuing either of our credibility. It's a summer episode. Give us a break. I have had a lot of fun talking with you today. Thanks for finally coming on to Canada Land. Always almost
0: a pleasure to speak with you.
1: That's your Canada Land Show. You can email me about it at jesse at I read them all. Now that Corey's gone, I can say nice things about him. The Onions AV Club wrote up his new podcast, Taste Buds. They said it is groundbreaking and wonderfully candid, and they are right. It's a wonderful show. Check it out. There's two episodes out already. Subscribe to Taste Buds. It's sponsored by Foodora. It is a free podcast that, I will tell you now, comes with a free meal. Check out Taste Buds to find out how. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand. Our website is CanadaLandShow.com. This episode is produced by Ellen payne Smith. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication of this show is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do, please support us at patreon.com slash Canada Land.
0: Hold on a second. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Why did I leave in that thing that was mean-spirited? <laughs> like you read for 25 years. Because you were reflecting your true nature. Um... <laughs> I don't want you to win socially
1: (laughs) and be like, I was nice to him. (laughs) Let's just uh, wrap it. It's a wrap. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this you can support Canada land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just two dollars a month. That is an almost 80 percent discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to Canadaland.com/join. And thank you.